0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Dara here. All right. Fishing opener. Well, we have a real live fisherman, even if he's a fisher of the Atlantic Ocean. As you know, you've been listening to the show for a while. You know I care very much about uh, sustainable seafood, about keeping the oceans healthy about keeping the American fisheries, uh, you know, healthy, thriving, full of people that are working well and getting paid well, and they're and that all of our future is sustained. As America's true conservative, I want to conserve the oceans, conserve jobs, conserve all of it. Um, I I do not think that ruining the world is a good idea. I never have. All right, so this is what's happening here today in the show. We're going to be talking to Al Catone. He's a commercial fisherman who's been fishing for thirty years. He knows everything I think you can know about fishing in Gloucester. Uh, he's featured in the film "Dead in the Water." I am doing a panel with him Monday night, but that is sold out. If you don't, have, if you don't have tickets, let's uh, not talk about it. If you do have tickets, I will see you Monday. Uh, but he's all, the film is also going to be showing. At St. Anthony, Maine on June 17th as part of the Twin Cities Film Festival so uh, everybody can see the movie that Al Katone is in and uh, I, we're just going to get right into the deep end of the ocean Al, welcome to the show Thank you, how are you doing? I am good Alright, what's going on? What's We have fishing opener here today but that's uh, for the lakes and rivers and the fresh waters What's going on in the oceans?
2: Well, um Up here in the Northeast, we kind of have a a struggle going on with the government about the quotas that we are allocated every year. The the government seems to think there's no fish in the ocean, and we seem to think there's plenty. We actually know there's plenty because of our catch rates have been going up. So we have a science struggle here trying to uh, get the quotas at rightful levels to sustain the local fleet.
1: All right. So so when did you start fishing? Tell me about that.
2: Um, I started in, started full time when
1: I graduated high school in 1983,
2: so quite a while.
1: <laughs> and so you have been on the ground. So tell people if they don't know what do you where do you fish? Are you when you fish from Gloucester? Where are you going?
2: I'm going to the Gulf of Maine, basically close to shore. I'm a day boat fisherman, so I leave at two or three in the morning and come back at two or three in the afternoon, like you know, 20 mile range. I don't know if you've heard of Stella Wagon Bank which is a, it's a sanctuary here and we usually fish in that area. It's a very rich area full of marine life, full of all kinds of fish. and uh, we're very lucky to live so close to a, you know, to a fish habitat like that.
1: Okay, and so what do what are the species? you get cod? You're not a lobster fisherman. that's different.
2: Yeah, I'm not a trap fisherman, but I land lobsters also and not a lot. you know they're just they're bycatch that I get that but that I can land, I have a permit to land. But we have cod. Paddock, um, all the flounder species, uh, gray sole, uh, dabs, yellowtail flounder, blackback flounder, um, hake, whiting. And there are 19 different species that are regulated in the multi-species uh, fishery here in New England.
1: And so so when you start, so your, your career has roughly paralleled. Uh, you know, all of the the bad news with cod in the Northeast. Is that right? You've kind of been on the ground watching all of it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh started in the 90s, and uh, it's progressed to today, you know, the ups and downs.
1: So tell people what happened. So it used to be, and obviously the cod fishery in the North Atlantic used to be the the thing that kinda of ran the world, right? That was uh there were Portuguese fishermen up there, there was mm-hmm. Europeans coming to Canada before before well, well before Columbus, a lot of people think. Uh there you know, the cod fishery was everything. And then what happened?
2: Well the cod fishery was part of the fishery here. It wasn't necessarily everything. I mean there were there were times, especially in Gloucester, like where there was a big mackerel fishery mm-hmm. and a big flounder fishery. But in the 90s, the, uh, the COD was in trouble here. We all knew it. And most of us pushed for, you know, stricter regulations to protect the
0: COD.
1: And so who exactly and, are you – so this is something that's always been confusing to me. Who are you protecting the COD from? Is it Americans or is it is because you get into a whole multinational situation, right?
2: No, no. We have a 200-mile limit, so it's, it's a domestic fleet.
1: So you have so a domestic fleet but the cod obviously they go to Norway or wherever they go. Well
2: that's that's the whole contention here. I mean how far do the cod reach? I mean the the cod uh the cod boundaries of different uh, stocks are kind of being debated right now like how far south do they go? How far east do they go? Like the cod that we catch do they reach Nova Scotia? I mean nobody nobody really knows. But I mean our domestic cod fishery you know took a big hit in the 90s and you know, strict regulations were put in place, which were warranted. And a lot of the uh, old timers said, if you get the government involved, you'll never get your fish back. And that's pretty much what happened. As the cod biomass has increased, we've seen it increased, we've been given less and less to catch. So the government seems to think there's still no cod where we see a lot more. So that's the that's the hiccup we have in the fishery here right now.
1: Yeah, and so what I I hear is that, you know, all kinds of things. So some people say... That um you know the, your fish finding techniques are just so good now, what do you say about that?
2: Oh, they are our our fish finding techniques are better, our harvesting techniques are better, more efficient, but you still have so much fish to catch. you know what I mean so what that just means we're getting getting our quarter and getting home quicker, you know with leaving less of a carbon footprint. but what we've seen in the last twenty years is our catch per unit effort. With the same gear, I mean, gear technology hasn't really gotten better in the last 25 years. Oh, really? really, I mean, around here it hasn't. I mean, it's in the 90s, we all switched to the the updated gear, and it pretty much has stayed the same. It's pretty much stayed static. But our catch-per-unit effort, meaning how much time we put in and how much we've caught, has been going up steadily. So we're spending less time and catching more fish, but that's not exactly translating into the stock assessments that the government puts out that says there's less fish. So that's where our that's where our discrepancy with the government science is right now. You know, we we see more fish and they don't. So we're trying to convince them that, you know, the fish are there and at least give it. We're not we're not saying we want a free for all fishery, but we need quotas at levels that can sustain the local fleet. And right now we're at the breaking point.
1: You're at the breaking point. So I don't know. Ex- I don't know exactly how this works. How does it work? So you have a stable number of licenses. Or is a shrinking number of licenses? How does all that happen? What is the Gloucester fishery? Is it like a hundred people, a 20,000?
2: Oh, it's uh, it's not a lot. The, the Gloucester fleet right now is probably down to twenty. The groundfish fleet is down to twenty full-time boats.
1: Wow, it's been
2: dwindled down from two thousand and ten to now. It's we've lost probably sixty percent of our fleet.
1: And do you feel that's the because the fish went away, or you feel like that's because the government is? not letting you. you feel like it's just all the quotas
2: because if you are if you if you don't have a lot of like each each permit is allocated so much fish based on your history and in 2010 if you know you had enough fish and then in 2014 when they took 90% of the fish away you didn't have enough fish. Oh
1: in 2014 so, they took 90% of the fish away?
2: They took basically 90% of the cod and uh, a couple of the flounder stocks away and pretty much crippled the industry so a lot of guys dropped out then. So we want to preserve what's left. But a lot of these guys still have their permits. They just lease the fish to the active fishermen. Not only do we want to preserve what's left, we want to entice some of the guys who left to get back in to try to get some of our markets back because our markets have gotten destroyed because of the lack of fish on the docks.
1: Huh. So what docks are we talking about? Are they in Gloucester or are they...
2: Yeah, yeah the, the docks in Gloucester and in New Bedford. And uh, Portland and then, um, you know, up and down from, from basically from Portland to New Bedford, you know, the fish landed, the ground fish landed is is uh, taking a big hit. So uh, the fish buyers have been filling that void with imports. Oh, so yeah. our fish, So our fish is being worth, even though we're bringing in less and less, it's worth less and less because of the uh, the influx of imports, you know, competing with our fish.
1: Oh, that's so funny
2: because
1: we we hear he, what we hear about in the Midwest here is that uh, uh, your fish is so in hot demand on the East Coast, so that's why it's not making it out here. That everybody by no. you eats it all.
2: No, we're not. I mean, the fish prices the last four years are pretty much half of what we used to get eight years ago. You know what I mean? Shocked. It's, yeah, it's 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 reality right now, and nobody can pinpoint where, it, you know, why we're getting so. So little money for our fish i mean some of the fish buyers blame the lack of infrastructure there's not enough people to cut the fish and we don't have enough fish to compete with the imports but um our our fish prices are have have taken a beating in the last few years that's what you know this this movie is is about awareness about the struggles of the industry with the government and also awareness you know when you when you go out to dinner or when you go to a fish market, you know always ask for domestic fish, wild domestic fish, and you'll you'll be helping your your local harvester, and it's also better for you.
1: And it's also the water here is cleaner. Absolutely, uh, the, everything is more regulated. I mean, I right. one of the things I've been trying to talk about for for twenty years at this point is if you're buying this kind of you know unknown black box. Shrimp. You should assume that it's just full of antibiotics and heavy metals. It is not not good for you. And that is not the case in anything that comes from American waters.
2: No. We are the most regulated fishery on the planet. You know, not just the Northeast, but, you know, all, all the fisheries are strictly regulated, you know, so we're sustainable.
1: That's so. the most important thing, and so I feel like we're gonna I don't know, but I feel that Minneapolis St. Paul ourselves could bring could bring your fish prices back because we have not seen prices go down ever. Prices for yep. fish have never gone yep. down,
2: and that's the problem we have here is even any anywhere I go, you know i I, I notice fish prices in the market, I notice fish prices in the restaurant. If my shortcomings at fish prices at the dock was being passed on to the consumer, it wouldn't feel so bad. But the consumer's still paying top dollar for fish that we're getting half the money for.
1: Yeah, this so is need- just nuts to me because I talked to this uh, this great writer, Paul Greenberg, and he's had a couple of books and he talked about how, you know, America's in this like dumb situation where our really wonderful, clean, excellent fish is getting eaten in Europe and Japan who are willing to pay for it while we're eating all of this kind of was it garbage, but you know, very low cost uh imported fish it makes no sense at all and now i'm hearing that you're not even getting the money and you can't sell your fish at the price you deserve i like i feel like i'm in through the looking glass
2: right and that's the that's the problem here we're not we're not getting compensated rightly for for the quality that we're bringing in and when we you know when we land out fish at the dock and we don't know where it goes so we don't we don't know if it's getting mixed in with imports that are being sold as domestic or we don't know if it's going overseas and being sold for big money we know we're just not getting compensated justly for our fish.
1: That is terrible because there's a, I mean, in addition to taking care of new New England, taking care of the small towns, taking care of the people that live there, you know, what y'all are doing is you're out on the sea taking care of taking care of the ocean. You're the one who sees illegal dumping. You're the one who sees, you know, whatever's going on out there.
2: I mean, we are, you know, we are the living environmentalists on the sea. I mean, we, I mean, you know, you know the old saying. You don't. You you got to take care of your own backyard, and you know I've been a big advocate of that since I started when I was a little kid. You know, picking up, you know, plastic bottles on the beach or whatever it took. You know, and I respect. Uh, I respect the ocean more than, you know, more than my own backyard, and and we all do. We all treat it, you know, with kid gloves. So, if we're regulated down to the point where there's massive consolidation and big companies come in and buy us all out. I mean, who do, you know, who do you think is going to land this fish after? It's going to be big companies who aren't going to take as better care of the resource.
1: Yeah, because we've seen a lot of that in our lifetimes, right? I was When you were talking about how, uh, um, you know, you, you feel like the fish are coming back, you know, I was in my mind picturing I see these big uh, Pacific Ocean super trawlers. I mean, these things are the size of mm-hmm. a city. They just open up their maw and just take in, you know, everything in front of it kind of willy-nilly. I don't want that in like, that's a right. horror. That's not a good thing. I mean, we
2: still have, for the most part, we still have owner operator, you know, family owned businesses in, in Gloucester, but we're on, like I said, with the quarter levels, the way that we're on the breaking point where a lot of guys might think of selling out. And if enough permits get in, you know, the right hands, you know, it could turn into uh, you know, a corporate thing and, You know, the fishermen could end up being sharecroppers for, you know, for the corporate interests, and that's when, that's when things could go south, really bad. Because uh, I don't think the corporations have, you know, will take as much care of the resources as the family-owned businesses.
1: No, I don't think so either. So, so let's say that we, uh, so I'm, I'm so puzzled by the idea that the government would be stopping you. You know, the you see that there's healthy fish. I mean, because what I why? What would their logic be? Why would they be so adamant about, um, you know, preventing something that's unscientific?
2: Well, there's the problem is with their stock assessments. I mean, uh, science could fix all of this overnight. And we are trying to get more data points incorporated into the stock assessments. Right now, the government has a trawl survey ship that goes out and does spot tows in certain areas and they count the fish and they extrapolate it out and they say, okay, there's this much of cod and this much of flounders in this area. But fish really don't work that way. I mean, if you make two or three small sets in an area and you get nothing, then their perception is there's nothing anywhere.
1: Oh, and so you think their line. methodology is just a design, their methodology is not working and they need and to adjust.
2: Yeah. And there's so much industry data that we've tried to, you know, for, not force them, but, you know, tell them, you know, you need to use this, you need to use that, you know, different different data that comes from industry that, you know, our landings and and, and such like that, that could be incorporated into the stock assessment to estimate the abundance of these stocks that's not being used. So it's all heavily influenced by the trawl data, the government trawl data, and that's our problem right now. We've got to convince them that they need to use different data points to, you know, get a true snapshot of what's really out there.
1: Well, I'm all for better science. All right, so um I am really looking forward to meeting you on Monday. Yeah, we're going to we're going to eat some New England seafood afterwards. I don't want to talk about that too much on the radio cuz it's sold out and I don't want everyone to be yeah. jealous. But I would say uh you know, if you want to eat well and make a better world, then everybody should seek out American seafood. Is exactly what you said and you know, the uh, all of the stuff that gets pulled in out of the Northeast Atlantic has beautiful fish. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. also, the Alaskan seafood fishery is really well managed. Well, uh, yes,
2: it is. You know, all all wild domestic seafood should be sought out when you're when you're out. You know, looking looking to eat fish. You know, make sure it's wild. Make sure it's domestic. And yeah. It's, 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 I can't stress that enough.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's the biggest it makes the biggest difference. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you. We've been talking to a commercial fisherman, a real fisherman, Alcatone, his movie that uh kind of everything he's talking about is in this movie. I'm looking forward to seeing it on Monday. It's also coming on June 17th to St. Anthony, Maine. It's called Dead in the Water and it's kind of really just puts you on the ground or the sea as it were and helps you really understand what is happening in the ocean well um Alcatone thank you for talking to us Well
2: no, thanks for having
1: me All right thank you uh ah, are you fishing I love fish I like eating it All right so in honor of having a real life Atlantic ocean fisherman on the show today I decided to do a top five grilled fish and seafood recipes, also in honor of our great fishing opener. We have the cleanest waters in the world. You know how polluted so many places are. We are lucky up here in the north. We're lucky for our, well, we're lucky because we did it. I mean, that's one of those things. We're lucky that our hard work over many generations has paid off and we get to benefit from it. All right, so I've got my top five grilled fish and seafood recipes they are all up at WCCORadio.com. they look uh, beautiful so what did I what did I put together all right number f- num- the first one just your classic walleye shore lunch is there anything better I mean really all right so we've had the we've had Teresa Marone she's a wonderful guest she knows everything about the woods she talked to me once we were a very long interview and and she Give me this phrase that I now use in my mind all the time, which is the the church of the great outdoors. You know, that great feeling when you're standing in the forest and the cottonwoods or the elms are just kind of meeting above your head and it's just like a cathedral. That is one of my absolute favorite feelings in the world and the birds are going around and then hopefully there's a lake. You pull a fish out of it. Teresa Marone has a, just a perfect summary of how to, how to, how to grill that outside, how, even on a, a fire pit, a kind of DNR fire pit. I have a link to that. It's beautiful. I love walleye. It's delicious. Nobody in the rest of the world understands. Yeah, I give it some silly name in Austria. They pay a bazillion dollars for it. Xander, uh, I believe. But no, walleye. That's the proper name. All right, so what about Trout. What about our farmed trout? What about getting a trout out of a stream? There's nothing more delightful. I have a nice recipe for a grilled trout with vinegar. So it's just a basic grilled trout. You make a little concentrated vinegar. You can actually pack this with you if you're going camping. And it's, you know, instead of a lemon, it does the exact same thing, just a little different. So uh, you're in... uh, Around the Mediterranean, they can use pomegranate vinegar. That's in a lot of stores now. If you happen to be in a specialty market, you can often see pomegranate vinegar. And it's just just very thick, like balsamic, but not as sweet as so many of those balsamics. And you just drizzle a little on there. It's just nice. I don't know. Or not. Just grill your trout. I approve of that as well. But what about Mussels one of the greatest sustainable foods. All right, so mussels. When people are farming them, they just kind of put these tiny little seed mussels or like sand practically in a bag, like a tea bag. And then the mussels sit on the bottom of the ocean. They clean, they filter feed. The tides come in, the tides come out. They get a little bigger. They transfer them to a bigger bag. Tides come in, tides tides go out. They get bigger. By the end of it, They're beautiful. They're very clean because they live their life in these bags. They're very affordable because they're predictable. Uh, And mussel farming is just a a great environmental boon. Keeps people on the ocean uh, having American jobs. uh, You know, they're the eyes and ears to keep any nonsense from happening. And you can get a bunch of mussels, very affordable, full of sea minerals, very sustainable. Hey, you just kind of just you put them in a foil pack with some garlic butter, put them on the grill. If you're really deluxe, you could can't, you could pack that out to a tent site in the woods. would be very deluxe, but you could do it. But you could just do it in your backyard very easily. So get your, just make sure you get your better quality of tinfoil. You don't want your cheap, flimsy tinfoil. If you have your cheap, t- flimsy tinfoil, you're going to want to double foil it. Now you're not saving money. I do like a thicker tinfoil. That is delightful. It kind of crinkles like siding. Good stuff. All right. So what about shrimp? I was trash talking that dirty imported shrimp. I will trash talk that to the end of time. But there's a growing presence of good, sustainable shrimp Um, You can get them at Kowalski's, you can get them at Coastal Seafoods, you can get them at the Fish Guys, different shops like Almanac Fish. You can get really good shrimp and it doesn't cost much more. It would be like 50 cents or a dollar more a pound. And I personally, that's what I eat because I don't really want weird heavy metals uh, entering my body in an unknown capacity. Nobody wants that. All right, so what are you going to make with your lovely, sustainable shrimp that you paid a little bit more for? You're going to make grilled garlic and black pepper shrimp. I put a link on there to a Bon Appetit story, and it kind of tells you how to... Do you ever make shrimp and then they flip around like little pinwheels? That's not good. If you double skewer it, okay, you're going to line up your shrimp. You're putting two skewers through it. Stable. That's what that is. Then they don't flip around. You're in good shape. My last last of my very sustainable wonderful foods char-grilled oysters okay you know i spent a lot of my life in new england and i'm going back to cape cod this summer for vacation and one of the things that we will do without question is light up the grill put some just let the you put the oysters in the shells right on the grill okay that is good for you that is low calorie that is delicious i recommend that entirely Okay, so all of this is up on the website, wccoradio.com. I've also put a link, as I always do, from my personal Facebook page. Are you camped out on Facebook? Check it out. I'm Dara Dara.Grumdahl. When we come back, hopefully we'll get a little time for an Ask Me Anything segment. So text us. All right, I am back. Got a question about Mother's Day. Looking for something on a budget for Gourmet Mom. Well, uh, you know, so I have a couple of my May picks at Liquor Boy. One of them is a, a really just a $9 rosé. It's called Moline. It's just creamy and kind of strawberry. It tastes really uh, slick. So that's a, that's a budget pick. You could, you could, you, your mom just wants to see you. That's the main thing. All right, so next week, one of my food heroes, Elizabeth Minchilli, she's been living in Italy for years now, just came out with a new book, Italian Table, which is all about how to have great celebratory meals, anchored. They're kind of, each one is in a different location in Italy. So it's just in time for your dad and grad party season. Get your party on. Until then, may your Mother's Day be full of good feelings and your table full of good eats. And I will meet you back here next week on Off the Menu.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.